0: The tough topic this morning is about God's discipline, God's discipline of His children. And if your heart sinks when you hear that topic, if you find yourself right now bracing yourself for what you think will be a harsh or a judgy sermon, then may I suggest that you haven't understood what God's discipline is all about. It is neither harsh nor judgy. In fact, God's discipline of His children is a blessing and a privilege. And a sure sign that God loves us and wants what's best for us. God's discipline of us should be a source of deep and profound gratitude and comfort and hope. And hopefully in the course of this sermon I can show why. I'm going to start with just two verses from the Bible that will kind of set the tone for the sermon. The first one is from Psalm 94 and verse 12. And it says, Blessed is the one whom you discipline, O Lord and whom you teach out of your law. Blessed. Blessed is the one that you discipline. The other verse is Job 5 and verse 17, which says, Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. So both of those verses talk about the blessing of God's discipline. And that is our theme this morning, the blessing of God's discipline Let's pray and ask for his help. Holy Father, thank you for gathering us here. Thank you that you are our Father and we are your children. This morning we're thinking and talking about uh, the discipline uh, that you administer to us. I pray that you'd help us to understand it and think rightly about it uh, so that we can experience this blessing that the Bible talks about. Blessed is the one who is on the receiving end of your discipline. Help us to understand why that is. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so this topic this morning came from actually a group of people who sent me an email, and in the email they asked me the following three questions about God's discipline. Question number one, what does God's discipline of his children look like? Question number two, how do we know if something is God's discipline or is simply the result of living in a fallen world? How do we know? And question three, how does God's discipline of us relate to church discipline? Okay, those are the three questions I was given. I'm going to add one question of my own to those three very good questions, and then we'll look at a couple of Bible passages to help us answer those questions. The question that I want to ask is, why does God discipline us in the first place? Why? Why? I thought God was all about love. So what's his motivation for afflicting us with his discipline? We're going to attempt to answer that first question about God's motivation for discipline by looking at one of the classic biblical statements about God's discipline. When we're seeking to understand someone's actions, their, the, the motivation for their actions matters a lot. For example, here's an action. Someone stabs someone else with a knife. They, they cut into another person's abdomen. The person starts bleeding profusely. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it depends on the motivation of the one doing the cutting, right? If the person with the knife is a thief, and they're trying to steal someone's wallet, so they stab them in the stomach, that is a decidedly evil and destructive act which is designed to cause pain and maybe even death. But if the person with the knife is a surgeon, who's trying to save the life of the person on the operating table, that is a decidedly good and loving act. So the same action, cutting someone in the stomach, can have very different meanings depending on the motivation of the person doing the action. So if we're having a biblical conversation about God's discipline this morning, the first question we need to ask ourselves is one of motivation. Sticking with my metaphor, why does God take the knife and cut us? Why? What is His motivation for discipline? And thankfully, we don't have to wonder, we don't have to speculate, because the answer is given explicitly and crystal clear in Hebrews 12. So let's turn there now, Hebrews 12 which I think is one of the most helpful statements in the Bible about God's discipline. Hebrews 12, Then I'll start in verse 1 and read through verse 11. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Okay, so why does God discipline us? This text is so wonderfully clear. It says, Those whom the Lord loves... He disciplines, right? The design of God's discipline is love. Our pain is not the effect of God's hate, but God's love. Will you believe this when you're in the midst of receiving the painful discipline of the Lord? Will you believe that it's an expression of his love? That is the question. Or verse 7, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons and daughters, children. In other words, in your pain, you're not being treated as a slave or as an enemy. You are being treated as family. Your pain is an indicator that you are family. You are a beloved child of God. Will you believe this? Will you let the word of God settle the issue for you so that when the suffering comes, you don't turn on God, but you lean into the gift of loving discipline from an all-wise father directed to a child. Okay, now look at verses 10 and 11. He disciplines us for our good. Why? That we may share his holiness. All All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, Afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I love the realism of verse 11. I'm thankful that that verse is in there. When you're in the middle of receiving discipline, it doesn't feel like a blessing. It doesn't. It doesn't seem joyful in the moment. It seems, it feels sorrowful. It feels bad, not good. And yet, the pain of discipline is a pain inflicted in love, and it is designed, strategically and designed, by the divine surgeon to bring about blessing, blessing and health and life. In fact, in these verses, we're told that the Father's discipline is for our good, it promotes our holiness, it brings us peace by making us righteous, right? Listen to those words about God's discipline. Good, holiness, peace, righteousness. This is the motivation of our loving Heavenly Father when He disciplines us. It's for our good. And even though it's no fun, to be on the receiving end of loving discipline, nonetheless, we all intuitively understand that when we consider how discipline works, right? When we just think about the analogy of earthly parents and children, right? We know, we all know this. The worst parents are the ones who are completely indifferent to the behavior of their kids, right? Those are the worst parents who let their kids do whatever they want, whenever they want. They never say no. They never punish bad behavior. And we know, we look at that, and we know that those kids, when they grow up, grow up to be some of the most unhappy people in the world. We feel pity for the child throwing the tantrum in the store whose parents can't be bothered to address their behavior. right? We know that good parents don't enjoy disciplining their kids. In fact, they hate disciplining their kids, but they're willing to do it. They're willing to perform the surgery of discipline in order to promote the health of their children. And the passage in Hebrews 12 explicitly employs this analogy, and it says that in the very same way that good, loving parents administer corrective discipline, in order to promote the health of their children, so too our Heavenly Father disciplines us for our good in order to promote our health because He loves us. And anybody who sells you a form of Christianity in which God is some sort of soft, inattentive parent who simply affirms everything we do and never says no and never intervenes and never administers discipline and simply smiles politely at our rebellion, quite frankly, does not have their Bible open because that is never the portrait in the Bible of our Heavenly Father. He loves us way too much. God loves you way too much to simply give you a free pass when you hurt yourself by disobeying Him. He does not stand around and just allow that to happen. God disciplines us in order to cure us. Right? I use that word purposefully in order to cure us. Think of it like, uh, think of the word, the way I'm using the word cure Think of it the way like that good pipe tobacco is cured, or, 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 or the way that ham is cured, or the way that leather is cured. It goes through a certain painful process, right? It's one thing, and then it goes through a painful process, and it becomes another thing. It becomes more useful at the end than it was at the beginning, but it has to go through the curing process to get there, right? See, most of us want to be useful without being cured, without going through the curing process, right? Most of us want to be strong. Who wouldn't want to be strong? But we want to be strong without doing the exercise. The exercise is the hard part, the no fun part. We want the result without the effort, right? Most of us want to be able to minister to others out of the fullness of human experience, but we don't want the fullness of human experience that gives us the ability to minister because that's the painful part. And the writer of Hebrews says, listen, I want, to t- I want to tell you something about fatherhood. Let's talk about fatherhood. I want, to, I want to give you one word about fatherhood, and that word is discipline. Loving father's discipline. That's what he says. Discipline is a sign that we are legitimate children of God, our Heavenly Father. It is a, it is a sign of His love for us. When we believe that, then we can move beyond this flawed understanding that says in our heart, God, if you really loved me, I wouldn't be going through this. Have you ever thought those, those thoughts in your mind or thought them about someone else? Lord, if you really loved me or if you really loved her, they wouldn't be going through this. What is the deal here? What is the problem? Instead, the reverse is the case, and we can say to ourselves, God, because you really love me, I am now going through this. It's all the difference in the world. Not, God, if you really love me, you'd do something about this and get me out of it. But, God, because you really love me, here I am. This pain that I'm feeling, I believe, is an expression, Lord, of your love. And I will receive it as such. Listen, set it down as a fixed point in your life. That if you and I are going to follow hard, wholeheartedly after Christ, which we should if we're going to live as children within the Father's house, part of His family, part of the family of God, then discipline is going to be an ongoing part of our experience. Right? Not like a peripheral thing that happens once in your life and then you're done with it because you learned your lesson. No. It's going to be an ongoing and regular part of our life in God's family. Discipline. Because He loves us so much and because none of us have arrived and all of us have areas of our life Where the appropriate response of God our Father is discipline. And it is by the very experience of discipline that we are marked out as sons and daughters of the living God. It's a sign that we're part of the family. The privilege of discipline distinguishes the believer from the unbeliever, the person who's part of God's family and who's not. Discipline. All right, so that's the motivation for God's discipline. He disciplines us because we're his children. He's our father, and he loves us, and he wants what's best for us, and he wants to bless us. And discipline is one of the ways that he promotes our growth and health and godliness. On to the next question. What does God's discipline of his children look like? What form does it take? The simple answer that I'll give to that question. the people that wrote it, and to us this morning, is that it takes a number of different forms. There's not one set way that God disciplines us. God uses all sorts of methods and circumstances to administer His discipline. A few obvious biblical examples came to my mind. I did not do a comprehensive study, but these are the ones that jumped to my mind as I thought about this. Uh, Right in the beginning of the Bible, God gives discipline to Adam and Eve for their lawbreaking. They broke the law, they disobeyed, and they received discipline. The discipline that God administers in that setting included exile from God's garden, right? You can't stay here, now you have to leave. A life of toil, pain and childbirth, and ultimately death. Now that feels like a heavy penalty, but it's insen- essential to keep in mind that God didn't that God didn't give up on them or stop loving them, or say, you're out of the garden, and you're out of the family too. He didn't say that. He administered discipline in order to restore them. It was loving discipline. He sent them out of the garden, knowing all along that he had a plan, a plan that would cost him everything, a plan that would ultimately bring them back into the garden, right? He says, you have to go for now, but one day I'm going to fix this and bring you back, right? Restorative discipline. God's discipline isn't punitive. It's not so that he can get even with us. It's restorative, so that he can heal us. God disciplines us not to drive us away, but to draw us near. Right? Good discipline, effective discipline. That's true for parents, earthly parents, and it's true for God. Good, effective discipline. It's painful. It's not fun. But it doesn't drive away. Right? If it drives away, you're doing it wrong. Effective discipline draws near. Effective discipline is an expression of love, and those who are receiving that discipline feel the love. They feel the pain too, but they feel the love. Another time in the Bible, people, the people of God were complaining about God in the wilderness. You remember the scene, they're on their way from Egypt to the promised land, from slavery to freedom, and they're grumbling and complaining. And we read, this is from the book of Numbers, it says, Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. That's discipline. That's God, the loving Father, saying, you may not speak about me that way. You were made to worship me, and that is what's best for you. And if you choose to grumble and complain and rebel instead of worshiping and obeying, well, then there will be consequences. Is that, is that kind of harsh? Well, it feels like it when we read it, doesn't it? But that's an indicator of how high the stakes are and how important it is for us to honor and respect the Lord and the lengths that the Lord is willing to go to in order to promote our health and our blessing. Or another example in the case of Moses' wife Miriam. Remember that? God afflicted her with leprosy because of her rebellious refusal to trust the Lord. That was Discipline. God sent a disease to afflict her as an expression of his discipline and then subsequently she was healed of that disease, restored. In the case of Jonah, you know the story. God appointed a great fish to swallow him whole. That's discipline. That's God saying, listen, Jonah, if you're not going to obey my instructions, if you're not going to go to Nineveh and preach a message of grace to them like I'm telling you to, if you're going to sail in the opposite direction, then I'm going to intervene. And I'm going to give you the ultimate timeout out here. Right? I'm going to put you in the dark belly of a whale for three days so you can sit there and think about this. That's discipline. In the book of Acts, do you remember this one? I think it's Acts 5. I didn't look it up. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Acts 5. God causes Ananias and Sapphira to drop dead because of their selfish lies and deception. You Remember, it's, it's a shocking scene in the Bible. That's discipline. That's a rather extreme and shocking form of discipline. That one doesn't quite feel like restorative discipline, does it? Because they're dead. <laughs> but but, we don't know. We don't know what transpired in their hearts between them and the Lord before they died. We don't know. A less shocking, but really, honestly, no less terrifying description of God's discipline comes in Romans 1. Romans 1, there's a heavy chapter. In that passage... Paul describes a number of sins. He kind of just stacks up a number of sins that people knowingly and willfully engage in. And then he says this. It says, God gave them up to the lust of their heart. In fact, three times in that passage, it uses that phrase. God gave them up to the lust of their heart. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. God gave them up to do what ought not to be done. In other words... The rebellion of these people reached such a height that God finally said to them, Fine! Do it! Have it your way. I will remove the guardrails. You go ahead and indulge in all the sinful pleasures that you want. You see how that goes for you. You see if that turns out to be the path to blessing and happiness and wholeness. Some of us might hear that and think, well, that's the discipline I want. I I don't want fiery serpents biting me. I don't want a great fish swallowing me. I don't want leprosy. I definitely don't want to drop dead. But if God would just remove the guardrails, remove his presence from me, and let me do what I want, I'll take that one. But in some ways, that's the worst one. That's the worst one. It reminds me of, uh, there's this classic episode of Twilight Zone. I'm not necessarily recommending that show, but when I was a kid, I used to sneak up late behind the couch and look over the edge of the couch and watch it. And uh, there was this one, I, I, I saw this when I was a small boy, but I've never forgotten it. Maybe, if you've seen it, I bet you remember it too. The episode is called The Other Place. And what happens is a lifelong criminal dies. He's in the afterlife. He's in this place where he gets everything he wants. He thinks, this is awesome. Must be some sort of clerical error that I got here. And uh, he goes to the casino. He gambles. He wins every time. He, every, every meal he eats is gourmet food that he would have just uh, dreamed about when he was living on earth. He dates beautiful women. He asks them out. They all say yes. He can't believe it. But after a month of this, He's totally and completely bored out of his mind and he finally cries out enough of this I want to go to the other place. At which point he is aff- he is informed this is the other place. See we think that it would be heaven to get everything that we want and to never be told no. It turns out that's hell. That's not heaven, that's hell. And sometimes God administers discipline by allowing us to experience that for ourselves. I could keep going, but you get the point. The point is that according to the Bible, God's discipline takes all sorts of different expressions, depending on the circumstances and depending on the person involved. Before moving on to our next question, I I think it's worth pointing out that all the examples in the Bible of God's discipline In every case, he is depicted as proactively causing the discipline. He doesn't just take our hard circumstances and then use them for good. He does do that. He does do that, but that's not discipline. In discipline, God proactively makes our lives uncomfortable, makes our lives hard and painful in order to shape and form us into the people that he wants us to be. Right? So it wasn't that there was a bunch of serpents in the area and they randomly started biting people and God said, oh, I can use this. No. We're told explicitly the Lord sent fiery serpents. Right? It wasn't that a whale just happened to be swimming by and when, when Jonah got the old heave-ho into the water. We're told explicitly the Lord appointed a fish to swallow Jonah. Okay, on to the next question. To quote the email I got, this is what they were asking. How do we know if something is God's discipline or if it's simply the consequences of living in a fallen world? How do we know the difference? I think the point of that question is to acknowledge the fact that sometimes bad things happen to us and it is not the result of our sin. It is not self-inflicted. It is not the discipline of of the Lord, it is simply the result of living in a fallen world where sometimes bad things happen. I need to say that again because it's so important. Sometimes bad things happen to us and it's not the result of our sin. It's not the result of anything at all that we have done. And it is not the discipline of the Lord. It's just what happens when you live in a broken world. Okay? So given that, given that, how are we to interpret our circumstances? Right? If I'm in a painful, uncomfortable place, how am I to know? Did I bring this on myself? Is this discipline of the Lord? Is this the result of some sin that I've committed? Or is this just what happens to people when they live in a fallen and broken world and nothing that I've done to bring on myself? Which one is it? In the case of Jonah, it's very easy because we get the commentary on God's actions in the story. It says God appointed a great fish, but what about a more complicated situation? What about, let's just take my grandfather's diagnosis of terminal liver cancer, right, He passed away a while ago, and that's what he died of. Oftentimes, liver cancer is associated with certain sinful lifestyle choices. In the case of my grandfather, he never drank in his life. In fact, he lived an exceptionally disciplined and healthy life. So was my grandfather's cancer a situation of loving discipline from the Heavenly Father? Or was it just the result of living in a fallen world, in a world that includes the existence of cancer cells, and in a world like this, sometimes people are going to get sick and die, and that's all there is to it, and we, don't, we shouldn't read anything into that. Well, my answer to that question, and to any other question, about attempting to discern God's intentions in our circumstances, is actually quite simple. I have a simple answer. Just ask God. Ask Him. <laughs> ask Him. Right? Lord, what is it you're trying to teach me here? I'm open, I'm receptive, I'm listening. Is there a hidden sin in my heart that you're you're trying to expose and bring to the light? If so, reveal it. I want to know. Show it to me. Perform the surgery. Remove it. And after praying a prayer like that, well, we should humbly and honestly search our hearts, pay attention to the Holy Spirit, attempt to discern if He is shining his spotlight on an area of sin in our life. And if we find anything, we should confess it and repent of it and experience God's gracious forgiveness. But we don't need to belabor that process, right? It's entirely possible that our difficult circumstances are not the result of any sin that we've committed. Well, that's good. But God can still use those circumstances to shape and form and refine us, right? In that case, our prayer should be, Lord, I don't know, why you've allowed this to happen to me, but please teach me whatever lessons you have for me through this circumstance. Please use these hard circumstances to refine and to shape me. And I believe with all my heart that God will honor those prayers and will make good come out of even the worst circumstances. Why do I believe that? Because that's what the Bible teaches. Right? Romans eight twenty eight is the most obvious place where the Bible teaches that. And we know... That for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. That means that any circumstances we find ourselves in can be used by God to bless us and to shape us into who He wants us to be. And that is true whether or not our circumstances are a result of our own sin and the Lord's loving discipline or are simply the result of living in a falling and broken world. The last question regarding God's discipline of us relates to church discipline. And you will be relieved to hear me say that I am not simply going to try to tack an answer to that question on the end of this sermon. It's too important of a question. I think we need to give that question the time that it deserves. And so I'm going to defer until next week the answer to that question. Lord willing, we'll pick it up again next week. In the meantime, let's just review what we've covered. Question number one, why does God put us through the pain of discipline? Answer, God disciplines us because He loves us like crazy. He wants what's best for us, and His discipline is an expression of His love. And it is a sign that we are legitimate children of the one true God. Question two, what does God's discipline of His children look like? Answer, His discipline can take any number of forms, Depending on the person and the sin and the circumstances, God's discipline is proactive. He doesn't just use our circumstances to accomplish His will, but when God disciplines us, He proactively afflicts us in order to bring us to repentance and restore us. Question three, how do we know if something is God's discipline or just the result of living in a fallen world? The answer is we ask Him, and we invite the Holy Spirit to search our hearts, And to reveal any hidden sins. And if we discover that it is discipline. We confess and repent. And turn from our sin. And experience the blessing of God's grace. If we discover that our circumstances are not discipline. But just the outworking of life in a broken world. We don't get angry. We don't get bitter. We don't rage against God. We don't say why me. We don't say this isn't fair. We ask God to use our circumstances. To accomplish his will. In our lives. And in the world. Believing that he really is able to make all things work together for good for those who love him. Next week, we'll consider how God's discipline of us relates to the practice of church discipline. Let's pray together. Holy Father, thank you that you love us so much, that you love us so much that you're willing to make us uncomfortable. It never feels good at the time, even the Bible Reminds us of that truth. It doesn't feel good to be under the hand of your discipline But it does feel good to know that we are your sons and your daughters your children Enfolded into your family through the blood of your son our Savior Jesus Christ And so we thank you for your discipline We thank you that you express your love for us and your desire to bless us through extending loving discipline, and I pray that when we are on the receiving end of that, that we will receive it in the way that you intended it, and that we'll learn the lessons that you intend to teach us, and that you will shape and form us into the kind of men and women and boys and girls whom you have created, redeemed, and called us to be. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.